You are listening to audio provided by FBC Farwell. To find more resources or to donate to this ministry, please check out fbcfarwell.org. Both to will and to work according to His good purpose. What he says there in verse 14, we would, sometimes would like to take this part out of our Bible. Do everything without grumbling. That's, that word everything, you know what that word means in the Greek? The same thing it means in the English. Everything. Do everything without grumbling and arguing. Why is that? Why, why, would, why would God be telling us that? So that you may be blameless and pure children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation. Let me ask you something. Are we living in a crooked and a perverted generation? Amen, yes, and amen. We are. But watch this. Among whom you shine like stars in the world. God is working in us so that you and I, who are living in a crooked and dark, depraved world, might shine like the stars. Now let me ask you something. When do stars shine? All the time. Stars shine all the time. But when can stars be seen the most? When it's dark. When it's dark. We live in a difficult time right now. We live in a, in a dark season right now. And God is calling us to shine like stars in the world. Go on verse 16. It says, how is this? By holding. How do we do it? By holding firm to the word of life. By holding firm to the word of life. We live in a day where there is a massive lack of trust, isn't there? I, I don't know that any time in my lifetime that, that uh, I, I've struggled to know what to trust. Doesn't matter what news station you turn, it's all politically bent or motivated, uh, colored in one way or another. It not only is that, I mean, we could kind of handle that, but, but even, I mean, even, even medical reports today have some type of political motivation, and, and depending on how it's politically bent depends on how they report what, what is medically accurate or not accurate today. We just live in a crazy time that is causing people to ask this question. What is true? What can I trust? Well, let me tell you something. From Genesis to Revelation, we can trust the Word of God. It is the only thing today that we can trust without any question. We can open it up and we can say, man, I can trust what God's Word says. It is without error. It is without any kind of political motivation. God's Word is true. I love the statement that we have as Southern Baptists about what we believe about God's Word. And I stand by this statement wholeheartedly. I'm going to put it up on the screen. I'm going to ask them to put it up on the screen. And I want you to see this. I just, many of you know this. I just want to remind you about the statement that we believe as Southern Baptists. This is what we stand by. That the Holy Bible was written by men divinely inspired and is God's revelation of Himself to men. It is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. It has God for its author, salvation 
for its end, and truth without any mixture of error for its matter. We're talking about God's Word here. Therefore, all Scripture is totally true and trustworthy. It reveals the principles by which God judges us, and therefore is and will remain to the end of the world the true center of Christian union and the supreme standard by which all human conduct, creeds, and religious opinions should be tried. All Scripture is a testimony to Christ, who is Himself the focus of divine revelation. Listen, God's Word is true. In a world where we struggle to know what is truth, we can go to God's Word and we can know that God's Word is unequivocally true. We can stand on it. We can place our hope in it. We can be encouraged by it. We can be strengthened by it. We can be guided by God's holy Word. If you could... I want you to think about the 12 apostles. If you could sit down with one of the 12 apostles and and have one of the 12 apostles teach you, preach a message to you, which one of the apostles would you sit with? Would it be uh, maybe Peter, uh, one of Jesus' most favorite, it seems like, of, of all of the apostles? or may, I've, I've thought often maybe maybe John, maybe John who was who's given the revelation. I mean, he's wrote the book of Revelation. He's given the revelation of what, of what heaven is going to be like, just to be able to sit and, and say, John, I, I know you've given us the book of Revelation, but, but man, could, would you mind just reading? I mean, can you imagine being read the book of Revelation by John? Or what about Paul? What if you could sit and talk with Paul and have Paul preach a, a, a sermon to you? I mean, just, man, that would be awesome. Well, this morning, we get that privilege. This morning, our text, Acts chapter 16, starting in verse, or I'm sorry, Acts chapter 13, starting in verse 16, is the first recorded sermon from the Apostle Paul. It's not his first sermon, but it is the first recorded sermon that we have uh, to go by. If you remember, Paul and Barnabas was sent out by the church, by the, the Holy Spirit uh, called them out. The church recognized the Holy Spirit's uh, power on them. And the church prayed and they fasted and they sent Paul and Barnabas out. And Paul and Barnabas have been on these missionary journeys and they, and they are going along and they, they, they find themselves in this, in this city called Pisidian Antioch. They didn't just happen to be there. This would be one of those places that you had to be going there to get there. They sailed over 200 miles and then traveled by foot some hundred miles through some of the the roughest terrain. This is Paul and Barnabas to get to this city that is full of Jews and um, Greek converts to Judaism. And they find themselves, they go to the synagogue and on the Sabbath day and they sit and they listen uh, as, as the leaders of that synagogue would have led them through the, uh, the law and through some of the Old Testament prophets. And then, as often would happen in the synagogue, uh, they would invite someone to speak, to expound on the scriptures, if you will. And they send word to Paul and Barnabas. 
uh, they asked them, would, you, would one of you like to share? And here's what they say. Would, you, would one of you like to share a word of encouragement? Now, that is like throwing red meat to the Apostle Paul. Would you like, here's this group of people, the Apostle Paul and Barnabas went there to, to tell them about Jesus, and here they are in the synagogue, and, they, and they've been invited. Would you like to share a word of encouragement? What would the Apostle Paul say? Here's, what, would he give us ten ways to be encouraged in the, in the first century? Ten ways to, uh, to, uh, to, to stand in line, with, uh, uh, to be in line and to live a, a good life under, under Roman rule. Would He give us that or would He give us the gospel? Here's what He does. He gives them and us the gospel. Oh, it's absolutely beautiful. This morning, uh, this sermon is going to be, my, my part of the sermon is going to be a little bit different than normal. There's not, there's not going to be points and application, or there's not going to be points for us to follow. I simply want to read Paul's sermon. We have Paul's sermon. We have the Apostle Paul's sermon. We can sit at the feet of the Apostle Paul and hear his sermon. And I'm telling you, it is as relative today as it was the day that the Apostle Paul preached it. And so I'm going to share with you what the Apostle Paul says, and then he applies his message later on in the Scripture. Listen, Paul's sermon is saturated with Scripture. He, he literally, he goes from Genesis to Exodus to Joshua to Judges to First and Second Samuel to Psalms to some of the Old Testament prophets all the way to the Gospels. You say, wow, we're going to be here for a while. He, he, he references those stories. But it's absolutely made. Do you remember when Jesus was, was, uh, was, was he, it was after his resurrection and he's, he's, he's walking along the path with the men and, and they don't recognize that Jesus is Jesus and Jesus expounds the scriptures from the very beginning. Do you remember, do you remember that story? This is basically what the Apostle Paul is going to do. So let's look at it. His sermon is saturated with Scripture. It's, it's God-centered. I, I want you to notice, as the Apostle Paul begins to preach this message, I want you to notice the action, or who is doing the action. It, it is all God. It's God-centered, and it is Christ-exalting. So look at verse 16. Verse 16, Acts chapter 13, verse 16. Here's what Paul, Paul says. Fellow Israelites, and you who fear God, listen. He gives them this command, listen. He's, now, 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 don't lose sight. If we're not careful, we will lose sight of who the Apostle Paul is preaching to. He is, he is about to preach a message to a synagogue full of good, moral, law-abiding people. These aren't the, uh, the, the reprobates that you would think of. This, these, are, these are good people. These are, are church-going people. If you, know what I, you know what I'm talking about? Like somebody moves into town and you ask them, are, are you a Christian? And they say, yes, I, I attend you know, the first Jewish synagogue of, of Antioch. I mean, I, however, that, that, these were good, morally upright, law-abiding citizens. But I want you to notice, it is a house full of lost people. Never accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. 
good people, people that we would love to be our neighbors, people that we would love to work with, people that we would love to do business with, but listen to me. Don't, don't let that confuse you who Paul is talking to. Paul is talking to lost people. Just real quick, jump down to verse 46. Here, you'll, you'll see this in verse 46. Acts chapter 13, verse 46. Paul and Barnabas boldly replied, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first. But watch what he says. And this is, he's talking to the same people who were in the synagogue. Since you reject it, what is it? It is the Word of God. It's the Gospel. The message that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. Since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. The Apostle Paul here is talking without question to lost people. So let's jump into it. Let's jump into the sermon. He says, fellow Israelites and, and you who fear God, these are, the, these are the Greeks who have converted to Judaism. Listen. Now notice who's doing the action. The God of this people Israel chose our ancestors. Do you know what he would have got at that moment? When, he, when Paul said that, he would have got a hearty amen from the people if they did that back in the day. Let's just pretend they did that back in the day. He would have got a hearty, a, he would have got a holy grunt. You know what I'm like, mm, mm. Yeah. God chose our ancestors. Not only that, God made the people prosper during their stay in the land of Egypt. He would have got another amen. Absolutely, God prospered our people when they were in Egypt, during their stay in the land of Egypt. And God led them out with a mighty arm. And they would have, again, they would have given a holy grunt. They would have given an amen, amen, that's right. Back when God led them through the Red Sea, through the mighty power of God, He led our people through and the Egyptians came and He, he destroyed them all. Verse 18. And for about 40 years, He put up with them in the wilderness. This is where, I, I, just, I just try to imagine as Paul's preaching this message, this is where the wife looked over at the husband and went, mm-hmm. You remember our, our really bad kinfolk that they were led through the red. They saw the mighty arm of God uh, deliver them out of Egypt. They saw the plagues. And they saw how God delivered them through the, from the plagues and then delivered them through the Red Sea. And then, and then you know, that, that side of the family. Mm -hmm. Paul says... And God put up with them, I love that, in the wilderness. Verse 19, And after destroying seven nations, this is again, it's God's activity, and after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, He, God, gave them their land as an inheritance. This all took about 450 years. Here's what Paul is saying. I want you to see, people, the faithfulness of our God. You believe in this God. Look at how faithful God has been to us, to the nation of Israel, to our people. Over 450 years, all of this took place. After this, He, being God, gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. 
Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul. Again, another action of God. God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And then again, after removing him, after God removed Saul, God raised up David as their king. And oh, and to this they would have said, oh yes, King David. We study about King David. We know about King David. We love King David. Oh yes, God raised up King David as their king, and testified about him. I have found David, the son of Jesse, to be a man after my own heart, who will carry out all my will. Now, up to this point, Paul in his sermon is getting amens, holy grunts, getting ahas. I mean, he is, they, they are loving this message that God has been faithful he is giving them historical fact after historical fact starting in genesis going all the way to psalms and they are loving it there's a shift in verse 23 (coughs) from this man's descendants who's he talking about here he's talking about david from from david's descendants As God promised, there's another action of God, as God promised, God brought to Israel the Savior, Jesus. This is where the amens, the holy grunts probably stopped. Because now, He is revealing who the Savior is, who they have rejected up to this point. Here's what I want you to see. None of their history is random because God doesn't do random. I want you to now, I want you to think about our own world, where we're living at today. God doesn't do anything random. If God chooses to to not send Jesus back for another thousand years, I'm telling you, what we are going through today is not by happenstance. It is not random. And that's what the Apostle Paul is showing here, that God is accomplishing His purpose. And we can see it throughout the entirety of history, that God, from the very beginning, He chose the nation of Israel. He allowed them to go to Egypt. He allowed them to prosper in Egypt. Their leaders rose up to the top. He allowed them to go through the Red Sea. He, he, he was with them. He, he put up with them while they were in the wilderness. God has been working throughout all of history. And He's doing it today. Even so today, God is at work drawing us, drawing men and women to Himself. And He's doing it. Look at this. He's doing it whether it's the same way, whether it's, whether it's through a blessing or whether it is by walking alongside you whether it is maybe even putting up with you during your wilderness wanderings, God is at work in your life. Here's the good news. He has provided a Savior for you. The question, as Paul is going to ask here in just a moment, what do you do with Him? What do you do with the Savior? God has been working in your life throughout history to show you His grace, to show you His love, to show you He has provided a Savior for you, and what do we do with Him? What will you do with Him? 
let me ask this question. I want you to think about this. What is God doing today as an act of grace? What is God doing today as an act of grace? You see, all of these actions that Paul has talked about, that that God has done, they are all acts of grace. Well, what is God doing today as an act of grace? You know, a lot of times I hear this, I think I've even said it before, but I don't think it's right. Now hear me out on this. A lot of times we can look at the world that we're living in, we can look at what we're going through, our circumstances, when we can cry out to God, Maranatha, come Lord, come. But hold that thought for just a moment. In 1980, let's see, I was nine years old. Yeah, 1980, I was nine years old. I didn't accept Christ until I was ten years old. But in 1980, I was nine years old, and and I'm quite certain in 1980, I really don't, I wasn't watching the news, I wasn't paying attention, everything was great in my life except for I wasn't a Christian, but you know, the world was, was good. But I'm quite certain in 1980, somebody was praying, Maranatha, Lord, come. And if God would have answered that prayer in 1980, I would have spent eternity in hell. Think about it. So do the math in your life. You know, some people, they know, man, they know the day, they know the hour, they know exactly what was going on the moment they accepted Christ. And that's, that's awesome. I remember how old I was. I remember where I was standing when I accepted Christ, but I don't remember the day and the month and the hour. I remember some specifics, but not all of them. So you, you do the math. If you, if you can remember the day, just back up one day from that. If you can remember the year, back up one year from that. And let me ask you something. Do you want, go back to that, do you want Maranatha? Do you want God to come back at that time? no if so you would spend eternity in hell the day before you accepted Jesus Christ the year before you accepted Jesus Christ it has been an act of grace that God has not come back even in the world the darkness of this world that we live in I want you to think about this there are 330 million people that live in the United States according to Pew Research 65% profess to be an evangelical or a Catholic 330 million people, only 65% proclaim, self-proclaim to be a, a Christian or a Catholic. And you know there's a lot of people that proclaim Christianity that aren't, right? But let's just go with the number, 65%. There are 7.6 billion people on the planet. 7.6 billion people. billion of those proclaim to be a Christian or a Catholic. 2.3 billion. That means there are 5.3 billion lost people on the planet today. Do we Christians still want to say, Maranatha, Lord, come? 5.3 billion people will split eternity, will split hell wide open. billion billion people 
That's too big of a number for us to think about. Let's just move it right here to our little slice of the world, Farwell, Texas, on a regular given Sunday, not, uh, not this Sunday, but a regular giving Sunday. There's a couple hundred people in the churches in Farwell, Texas, in a community that has 1,200 people, 1,300 people. Let's say a couple hundred of those go to another church, maybe in Clovis or go somewhere, somewhere else, Muleshoe, wherever. They, they go to another church. Let's just, let's conservatively say there's, there's 500, 600 people that aren't attending. They're not hearing a gospel proclamation every Sunday, if at all. Do we want to say, Lord, come. So let me ask the question again. What is God doing today as an act of grace? He is withholding His Son from coming so that lost people today can have a chance just like you and I had a chance. How long is that going to happen? I don't know. I don't know. Here's a good way for us to begin to think, I believe. How do we know when we're loving others the way Christ has commanded us to? Think about this. How can we know that we're loving others the way Christ has commanded us to? Here's the answer to that question. When God's grace on others is a burden to us, yet we say, not my will, but your will be done. Let me say that again. When God's grace is a burden to us, we can say to God, not my will, but your will be done. You see, it would be really easy for us to say, oh Lord, come, this world is so messed up, it's so broken, and it is without any question. Lord, come. But we have neighbors that are lost. And so my burden is not greater than God's grace. And a way that I can love others the way Christ has called us to love others is for me to say, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. Turn over to Romans chapter 8, verse 18. Romans chapter 8, verse 18. Eighteen Romans chapter 8, verse 18. I believe this is what the Apostle Paul has in mind. Listen to what he says. <laughs> For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. It's the same reason the Apostle Paul can say this. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. God is at work today. Even in what we find ourselves in, in the darkness, in the uncertainty, in the confusion, God is at work. 
we are seeing grace after grace after grace after grace of God calling people to himself. Let's get back to our text, to the sermon from the Apostle Paul. After mentioning King David there in verse 23 that we looked at, where I believe that, that uh, maybe the amens began to slow down in Paul's uh, sermon, Paul, Paul then jumps to Jesus, uh, the promised Messiah of the descendant of David. This is what he's pointing to, that Jesus is the promised Messiah of the descendant of David. Look at verse 23, and we're just going to go through the the large portion of of the sermon. From this man's descendant, speaking of David, as he promised, God brought to Israel the Savior, Jesus, before his coming to public. Now he's going to go to John, proclaiming about Jesus. Before his coming to public... Attention, John had previously proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. Now, as John was completing his his mission, he said, Who do you think that I am? I am not the one, but one is coming after me, and I am not worthy to untie the sandals on his feet. Look Look at what Paul is doing. He has gone from Genesis to Psalms, and now he is jumping to the Gospels, and he's saying, John, the New Testament prophet, was proclaiming a Savior and that He is coming after Him. Look at verse 26. Oh, you, just, you can just hear Paul's pleading with them. Brothers and sisters, children of Abraham's race, and those among you who fear God, it is to us that the word of this salvation has been sent. He's standing before them and he's saying, listen, this word has been sent To us, what are you going to do with this word? Since the residents of Jerusalem, here we're going to get back into the gospel, since the residents of of Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognize him, him being Jesus, or the sayings of the prophets that are read every Sabbath. In other words, just like you are sitting here, Israelites and those who fear God, just like you are sitting in the synagogue and you hear the prophets taught week after week after week, the people in Jerusalem did it as well, but they never understood that the prophets were talking about Jesus. They have fulfilled their words. They fulfilled the prophets' words by condemning Jesus. Verse 28. Though they found no grounds for the death sentence, they asked Pilate to have him killed. When they had carried out all that had been written about Jesus, they took Jesus down from the tree and put him in a tomb. Do you see what Paul is doing here? He is is saying, listen, the prophets prophesied that this was going to happen, that a Savior was going to come, and that our own people was going to reject Him. They would put Him on the tree, they would take Him down from the tree, and they would bury Him. But look at what happens. Verse 28. Oh, but here comes the Gospel. It's all the Gospel. Here's the good stuff. Verse 30. But God. You know that's good. You know what's about to come is great, right? After but God. But God raised Him from the dead. They put Him in the tomb. But God raised him from the dead, and he appeared for many days to those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. Oh, Paul is just preaching an incredible message, saying, saying, oh, listen, this 
Jesus is the Son of God. Who he, he is who the prophets have been talking about. It is who we have been studying about. The promised Messiah. His name is Jesus. How do we know that? Because God raised Him from the dead. And he is, there have been many people who, are, who saw Him, who touched Him, and they are telling others about Him. Look at verse 32. And we ourselves, so you have the Old Testament proclaiming about Jesus, you have the Gospels proclaiming about Jesus, you have people who are alive in that day who are proclaiming about Jesus. And Paul says, and we ourselves, Barnabas and Paul, proclaim to you the good news of the promise that was made to our ancestors. God has fulfilled this for us. There's God's action again. God has fulfilled this for us their children, by raising up Jesus as it is written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have become your father. Verse 34, as to his raising him from the dead, never to return to decay, he has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure promise of David. Therefore, he also says in another prompt passage, you will not let your holy one see decay. Just right there in your, I know I'm going kind of fast through this, but just in your, in your margin, write down Psalm chapter 16, verses 8 through 11. Here's what Paul is doing. Paul's going back. He's going back and forth from the New Testament to the Old Testament, pro- proving that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is the fulfillment of the promise that was made to David. Verse 35, you will not let your Holy One see decay. We see that promise in Psalm chapter 16, verses 8 through 11. Now look at verse 36. For David, after serving God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep, in other words, for saying that he died. He fell asleep, was buried with his father, and he decayed. But the one God raised up, who is that? Jesus. He did not decay. Jesus is the fulfillment of King David that you love so well, that you love to sing his songs, you love to talk about how awesome King David was. Jesus is the fulfillment that came to David. So here's here's where he begins to apply the message. Therefore, in other words, what are you going to do with this information? Therefore, let it be known to you, brothers and sisters, that through this man, forgiveness of sins is being proclaimed to you. Everyone who believes is justified through him from everything that you could not be justified from the law of Moses. Here's the rubber meets the road. He is saying that through this man you can be justified. You can be forgiven for all of the sins that the law couldn't forgive you from, that the law couldn't justify you from. All of those things, which is every sin, the law just points to our sin. It reveals that we are sinners, but Jesus, and through Jesus alone, you can be justified which means this just what is it just as if you had never sinned but even add to that just as if you had always obeyed no law can do that for you no law can do that for you just as if i'd never sinned just as if you had always obeyed jesus or paul is saying that jesus is the Savior who takes away your sins. This is Paul's message. Really, every time you, you see him 
teach or preach. You see it in Romans chapter 10. You see it throughout the book of Galatians of the justification that comes through Jesus. Turn over to Romans chapter 10 starting in verse 9. I want you to see this. Romans chapter 10 verse 9. Paul has, has just laid out from, from Genesis to the New Testament that Jesus is the Savior, that Jesus is the one that justifies us from our sins. He, he cleanses us. He, he purifies us. How do we, so, so how do we make Him our Savior? How do we accept Him? Romans chapter 10, verse 9 gives us clear instructions. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Look at verse uh, 10. One believes with a heart resulting in righteousness and one confesses with a mouth resulting in salvation. For the Scripture says, everyone, everyone, everyone who believes on Him will not be put to shame, since there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, because the same Lord of all richly blesses all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen? For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Paul is laying out the gospel. You have seen that God has been faithful to our people. God has promised a Savior. God has delivered a Savior in Jesus. And it is only in Jesus that you can be forgiven, that you can be justified, that your slate can be wiped clean. It's as if God looks at you and says, not only have you never sinned, but you have also always obeyed. I'm telling you, that is great news. That is great news for, for unbelievers, and that is great news for believers alike. But I want you to notice something, because I think there's no doubt there's people who will hear this message and they will reject it. How do I know that? Because the same prophecies that prophesied are the same prophets who prophesied that a Savior is coming also prophesied that some will reject the good news of the Gospel. Actually, the Apostle Paul in his sermon in Acts chapter, Acts chapter 13, starting in verse 40, he actually gives us this warning. Look at verse 40. He says, be, So be aware, or beware, not be aware, Beware, he is saying, caution, let the lights go off. Beware that what is said in the prophets does not happen to you. What is that? Look at verse 41. Look, you scoffers, marvel and vanish away, because I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will never believe, even if someone were to explain it to you. Here's what he's saying. Don't. Let the, the prophecy is going to come true. There's some that's going to reject it, reject the gospel. Don't let that person be you. That's what Paul is saying. You've heard the gospel. God has been faithful. God has promised a Savior. He's provided a Savior. And it is through that Savior that you can be saved, that your sins can be washed clean. Now listen, don't reject it. There are people that's going to, be re, that's going to reject it. Don't let that be you so listen if you're watching this morning or if you're here you can be a good morally upright 
church-going person. That's who Paul's preaching to. And you can be lost. Don't let what the prophets have prophesied, that there's going to be some will hear the message and they will reject it. Don't let that be you. Give your life to Jesus Christ today. It is the greatest thing that you could ever do. Let me pray for us. Father, I pray for those that are here. I pray for those that are watching online. That if there is anyone here that never given their life to Jesus Christ, anyone who is hearing this message and they've never given their life to Jesus Christ, may they hear the truth of the gospel that you are faithful, you have promised, you have provided a Savior who cleanses us, who purifies us, who allows us to stand in right standing in front of you. Oh, God, I pray that today would be the day that they give their life to you that they say yes to you. If that's, if that's you and you're here this morning, then, then in a moment I, I'm going to pray and then, and then we're going to be dismissed and, and I would count it a privilege to talk to you uh, before you leave today. Or if that's you watching online, I want to encourage you to, to leave a message uh, on, on one, of the, the, one of the comment cards that's going to come up here in just a moment. Leave a message and let us know that you would like to make a decision to, to give your life to Jesus, to receive Him as your Lord and Savior. One of us will get back with you as quickly as we possibly can. We... Thank you for joining us for worship at FBC Farwell. If you made a decision for Christ... Please let us know by contacting Pastor Russ at russ at fbcfarwell.org. We would love to connect with you and walk alongside you in your faith journey. We have some great resources to send you that will help you grow in your faith. As we close, I want to say thank you for listening today. If God leads you to give to the ministry of FBC Farwell, you can text FBC Farwell to the number 77977. Thank you for your generosity.